Grab a seat. Good morning. Uh, good to be with you this morning. If you've got your Bible, go ahead and make your way to Hebrews chapter 4, book of Hebrews uh, chapter 4. Uh, and I'm sure all of you are familiar with the term FOMO, the fear of missing out. Uh, and while the fear of missing out has always been around, uh, the term and the phrase itself has uh, is pretty new because of how much social media has intensified FOMO. And so, you know, it used to be, and what a glorious day this must have been, it used to be you didn't know when your friends were doing something without you. You didn't know when you were actually missing out on something uh, because nobody could post about it on social media. But now you see every social gathering you weren't invited to, all the awesome vacations that everybody else gets to take that you don't get to take, all the fun that other people are having that you're not. And so, so many of us have this deep sense of FOMO, this fear of missing out on the experience, of not getting to have the fun that other people are having, of not being included in the group. Uh, and, and let's be honest, most of the time, FOMO is a bad thing. We're... We're fearing, we're fearing we're missing out and we're looking at other people thinking they're having a better life and a more fun life uh, than we are, but they're, they're probably not having a more fun life than we are. They're just posting the highlights on social media. And so FOMO, it's, it's usually a bad thing. It's usually something that can stir up a lot of coveting and discontentment in us. But, but here in Hebrews chapter 4, God's actually going to encourage us to have FOMO. Uh, he's encouraging us to fear so that we don't miss out on entering His rest and experiencing His salvation. There, there is a good kind of FOMO that will lead you to not turn away from Jesus, and, and that's what God wants to encourage here in Hebrews chapter 4 this morning. And so let's see this together now. We're going to read the first 13 verses of Hebrews chapter 4. And so starting in verse 1, the Word of God to us today speaks to us like this. It says, therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest although his works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again in this passage, he said, They shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward, in the words already quoted, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken of another day later on. So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did from his. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and, in, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed 
the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Let's pray for God's help on our time together this morning. Father, um, thank you for your word. Thank you that you are addressing us today through your word. That this is not something, just a historical document, that this is a living word that addresses us right here and right now. So God, would you give us ears to hear? Would you give us eyes to see? Would you give us hearts that long to believe and know and trust you? Would you help us to strive to enter your rest? God, would you put the good news of this invitation on display? Would you use my words this morning to encourage us and stir us up to fear and strive to enter your rest and to rest in the good news of the gospel? How would you do that as we work through your word? I pray that you would in your name. Amen. Well, I'm sure you picked up as we read through it, uh, this is a really dense passage. Uh, His argument here is really tight. Uh, One of the things that makes Hebrews difficult is that the author of Hebrews knows the Old Testament like the back of his hand, and he's able to jump all across the Old Testament back and forth and drop in references from all over the Old Testament. And that's what he's doing here in Hebrews chapter 4. He's going from Psalms to Numbers to Genesis, back to Psalms, then to Joshua. Uh, On top of that, he's using the word rest in a few different ways here, with a few different shades of meaning. And so rest doesn't mean the exact same thing uh, each time that he uses the word here. And so we're going to talk through all of that, but I don't want you to miss the forest for the trees, because while his argument is pretty complex and pretty dense, the, the main point, the thing he's trying to get across to us is really pretty simple. His main point is this. God's rest is still available. He's still inviting us into it. It's still open for us to experience it. So don't miss out on it by failing to believe. And so let's walk through the text together and see this. All the way back in verse 7 of Hebrews chapter 3, he introduced Psalm 95 to us. And if you weren't here last week, Psalm 95 uh, was about the generation of the Israelites who came out of Egypt in the Exodus under Moses, but then didn't get to go into the promised land because they didn't believe, uh, and so they were judged and they died in the wilderness. And and the author of Hebrews put us in Israel's story and told us we're in the same story, so we're in the wilderness waiting to go into the promised land, so don't harden your hearts and fail to believe so that you can enter in unlike the Israelites did. So that's what he said in chapter 3. Here in chapter 4, he's going to start drawing up some conclusions, showing us how Psalm 95 applies to us, how it's addressing us. And so he starts the chapter with therefore, and he gives us his first conclusion from Psalm 95. He says, the Israelites in that generation didn't get to enter God's rest, but God's rest is still open. The promise of entering his rest still stands, so we should fear lest any of us would fail to reach it. And when the Bible uses the word fear here, Uh, It's not talking about a fear that paralyzes and and kind of terrifies you. It's talking about a fear that moves you to action. The word fear here, it means to give something a healthy level of respect and weight and value. So for example, if I were to go home and see a big snake crawling through my house, I would not go up to it and put my hand up to it and let it sniff me like I do with my dogs. I just got a healthy level of respect and fear for what a snake's bite would do to me 
So I would take action to avoid that. I would go and find something and come back and end the snake's life and make the world a little bit better of a place. And so when, when Hebrews is telling us to fear here, it's saying, give God's warning a healthy respect of weight, a healthy respect and weight here. Don't just think that God's making an empty threat when he says, if you don't believe, if you don't trust, you won't experience his rest. Because verse 2, it says, the, the Israelites, they had the good news preached to them just like we have, but, but hearing the good news did not benefit them because they weren't united by faith with those who listened to it. And so he's talking about Joshua and Caleb here. Joshua and Caleb believed God's promise that he was going to give them the land, even though the rest of the Israelites didn't. And so every Israelite heard the good news. They heard the promise that God was going to complete their salvation and bring them into the promised land and give them rest from their enemies. But, but only Joshua and Caleb listened to it. The rest of the Israelites were judged and died in the desert because they weren't united by faith with Joshua and Caleb. And so hearing the gospel, it was of no benefit to them. It did them no good because they didn't believe and Hebrews is calling us to fear because the reality is that you and I, we can hear the gospel and it be of no benefit to us if we don't actually believe it. We don't actually respond to God's word in trust. Because look at what verse 3 says. It's those who believe, they are the ones who enter God's rest. And, and here's where his argument begins, begins to get pretty dense and, and complex. And so uh, just, just track this with me. Uh, he he requotes Psalm 95, verse 11, about how the Israelites didn't get to enter God's rest. And when he uses the word rest here, he's talking about Canaan. He's talking about the promised land. But God, in the psalm, he calls it my rest. So it's God's rest. And the author of Hebrews introduces attention because he says the Israelites didn't get to enter God's rest. But God's works have been completed from the beginning of the world. God has been resting since the foundation of the world. And he quotes Genesis 2-2 to prove it, that God rested on the seventh day from all of his works. What's interesting about the book of Genesis and the creation story in the book of Genesis is that for the first six days of creation, every day has the same phrase at the end. It says there was evening and there was morning the first day or the third day or the sixth day. But the seventh day doesn't have that. It says God set apart the seventh day and he made it holy and he rested on the seventh day from all of his work, but there's no evening and morning. The seventh day never ended. It's still going on. So God, that, that hasn't stopped. God has been resting from the beginning of the world ever since he completed his work of creation. God has been resting. Because when it says that God rested from his work, that does not mean that God got tired uh, or he needed to take a nap, or he just needed to take a day off because he was so burnt out from his work in creating the world. That, that does not happen to God. Instead, what it means when it says God rested from the work of creation, it means God completed the work of creation, and now he's sitting back and taking it all in. He's enjoying his creation. He's rejoicing in his creation, and he's inviting us to rejoice in it with him as well. That's what it means for God to rest. It's, it's somewhat like uh, that show that used to be on MTV, uh, Cribs. Do y'all remember Cribs? Uh, it probably says better things about you if you don't remember Cribs than if you do. 
but if you don't know what I'm talking about, Cribs was a show where they would go to a, an athlete or a musician or a celebrity's house, and this person would give you a tour of their house and all of their cars and all of their stuff, and they would just let you covet for 30 minutes to an hour. Uh, and if you saw the show, like these houses were insane. It's just these lavish mansions and people would have Olympic-sized indoor swimming pools in their house. People would have uh, indoor basketball courts. Tony Hawk had a full skate park in his backyard. His backyard was a skate park. Uh, they'd have lavish theater rooms with somebody on site to pop the popcorn and bring it to you. I mean, it was, it was just nuts. It was absolutely insane. And if you watch this show, you usually left the show with the feeling of, man, how cool would it be to get to enjoy that house with them? How cool would it be to, to watch a movie with them in their theater room or to get to play basketball with them on what's literally their home court? And, and so in a much greater way, this is what it means for God to rest in his creation. It means he's enjoying his house. He's enjoying his creation and he's inviting us to enjoy it with him as well. This is the entire reason that God created us and that he created the world. God created us to have life and joy and fellowship with him. And he created the world as the place where we would have life and joy and fellowship with him, where we would experience freedom and joy and flourishing life as it was always meant to be as we lived with God on this earth. Now, obviously, that purpose got frustrated when Adam and Eve brought sin into the world and put creation under a curse. But God does not quit on his purpose of wanting to bring rest to us and to the world. He does not say, well, they, they kind of messed the whole earth thing up, so I guess I'll just blow it up like the Death Star and take them up into the clouds. No, the, the whole Old Testament, the entire Bible shows us God working to redeem us and to redeem his creation and bring us back into that state of rest, of enjoying life in his world, in this earth, free from the curse of sin and death and brokenness. And so he invites Israel into the promised land as a first installment, as a down payment of this rest, if you will. But the Israelites don't enter into his rest. They don't accept the invitation. They don't believe him, and so they don't get to experience his rest. But God does not quit on his purpose to bring rest and salvation to his creation. Verse 6, uh, it says uh, that there is still, uh, it still remains for some to enter it. The invitation is still open. God is still working uh, to bring us into rest. And the Bible shows us this because verse 7, he says, so long after this episode in the book of Numbers, when the Israelites didn't get to experience this, God appointed another day. He gave another opportunity. Psalm 95 was written by David, who lived centuries after the Israelites who came out of Egypt. And God, through David, in the psalm, he says, today, right now, at this moment, if you're hearing God's voice, don't harden your heart and fail to experience his rest. And so in David's day, entering God's rest was still a possibility. It was still an invitation. God was still inviting people into it. And in verse 8, he answers a question that, that some of us might have because he, he knows some of us are going to think, well, wait a minute, I've read my Bible. I know that, yeah, the, the Israelites under Moses don't get into the promised land, 
But then Joshua leads the next generation into the promised land, and they do get to experience God's rest. They do get to experience life in the land. And what Hebrews says here is so helpful because it assumes, yes, that was an experience of them getting to experience God's rest. But if that's all that God's rest was, if the promised land was all that God was talking about, and that's all that God wanted for his people, then he wouldn't have given the invitation later on through David because David was already in the promised land with the rest of the Israelites. But, and so you, you don't have to invite people into rest if they're already home, but God still does through David. And so what that means is that the promised land in the Old Testament, it was a type, it was a picture, it was a foreshadowing of a greater rest and a greater reality that's still available to us today. Because the today of, of Psalm 95, it wasn't just something for David's day, it's the invitation for us as well. Go all the way back to Hebrews 3, verse 7, when he first introduces Psalm 95. And look at what it says. Before he introduces Psalm 95, what does he say? He says, as the Holy Spirit says, and then he quotes Psalm 95. What tense is says in? It's not rhetorical. You can answer. It's present. What does that mean? It means right now, at this moment. It means that the today of Psalm 95... It's today, Sunday, February 4th, 2024. God today, right now, is addressing us and calling us not to miss out on His rest through hardening our hearts and not believing. And so right now, this invitation is still open. It's still a call for us to enter God's rest. This is why He sums everything up in verses 9 and 10 and says, So then, there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has rested from his works, uh, whoever's entered God's rest, has also rested from his works as God did from his. It's still open. It's still available. God's invitation is still uh, inviting people into it to experience his rest. And it's clear from the text that this Sabbath rest that God is talking about that this is a future reality, that this is something we will only experience in full after this present life. The whole book of Hebrews is encouraging us to not give up on Jesus, to keep persevering and following after Him, to not turn away from Him and go after other things. And so verse 10 is saying we enter God's rest when we rest from our labors in this life, when we rest from the labor of following Jesus and being obedient to Him in a broken world just as God rested from His works when He finished the work of creation. On top of that, think about where the author has put us in Israel's story. We're not in the promised land yet. We're in the wilderness waiting to go in. That's what this life is. It's a wilderness journey where we have the opportunity to trust God and listen to His voice and not harden our hearts and keep following Him so that we make it all the way to the end. And listen, Like at first glance, it might not seem like it that that this promise of rest just being something that's for the future is good news, but this is incredibly good news because if this present life was all that God had for us, if this was the fullness of God's salvation, this present life, that's a pretty lame promise. That's not a great salvation. 
God does not win out over the devil in that scenario, but that's not all that God has for us. God has the promise of life, real life, with him and with his people in a world that's free from death and sin and suffering and shame and sorrow. Real life, free from the curse, eternal life that never ends where every day is better than the one before. That's the promise that God is inviting us into. That's what it means to enter his rest. That's what he's offering to us. And so what do we do with that? How do we respond to that? Verse 11 tells us we strive to enter God's future rest. We strive to keep believing, to keep trusting in Jesus so that no one would fall by the same disobedience that the Israelites did. Because here's what the New Testament teaches about the Christian life. The New Testament is crystal clear that those whom God saves, he keeps to the end. Jesus says that he will not lose one of any of those whom the Father has given to him. He says in John 10 that nobody can snatch you out of his hand or the Father's hand. So it's crystal clear. God keeps those that he saves to the end. He will not lose one. But what's also crystal clear in the New Testament is that the way that God keeps His people to the end is through their faith, through their trust in Him, through their believing and continuing to follow Him. And so the the message is clear. If we don't continue in faith, if we turn away from Jesus and we stop following Him, we won't enter God's rest. This life is about persevering in Jesus, and so we need to keep striving to enter God's rest. The word strive, it has the sense of running, like a marathon, which, which makes sense because the Christian life, it's like a marathon. It's not a sprint. You, you can't gas yourself out in the first mile. What, what's important is to know that this is a lifelong race where what matters is to keep running, is to keep moving forward, is to keep trusting in Jesus. And listen, you know, if you've been here for any length of time at all, you know we emphasize God's free unearned, undeserved grace that saves us apart from anything we've done or have not done. We want to make that the dominating theme of every sermon because we believe it's the dominating theme of the Bible. But what we can sometimes miss with that is that we're called to grow in the Christian life. We're meant to strive to grow in our trust of Jesus, to keep believing in Him. God's grace is not a license to sit on our hands and think, well, God's got to forgive me anyways. That's kind of his job. And so it really doesn't matter what I do because his grace is going to cover me in the end anyway. No, God's grace is not a license to presume. It's not something to presume on so that we can stay stuck in our sin. God's grace, it's power to change. It's power to grow. It's power to trust the promises of Jesus more than the lies of sin. Dallas Willard said, God's grace, it's not opposed to effort, it's opposed to earning. God's grace is opposed to us thinking that we can earn our salvation and earn God's love and favor through what we do and don't do. But God's grace is not opposed to us striving and putting forth effort to grow in our trust in Jesus and fight against sin. That's what the New Testament calls us to, to strive after this. So strive to enter God's rest. Fight the spiritual drowsiness and laziness that can so easily creep into our lives. Fight the drift into caring about other things more than Jesus. 
fight the temptation to give in to other things that do not satisfy. Fight the same triggers that lead you into the same patterns and habits of sin. Fight to keep your eyes on Jesus. Strive to enter God's rest. And then he ends this passage with something that at first read seems like it kind of comes out of nowhere. right? Because we've been talking a whole bunch about God's rest. And then all of a sudden, it seems like he just downshifts and begins to talk about the Word of God. Uh, But this is not out of nowhere. This is actually a really clear summary of the warning that Hebrews has laid out in these past two chapters. Because God's Word is living and it's active. Remember, Psalm 95 is what God is saying to us today, right now, not in the past, today. And God has spoken to us in Jesus, and if we reject the message... We will not escape everything in your life and everything about your future depends on how you respond to God's Word. And what Hebrews is saying here is that you cannot hide from God's Word. You cannot hide from God. God's Word is able to pierce and cut and discern and expose the places in your heart that nobody else can get to And it can discern the thoughts and intentions and motivations of your heart. What that means is that God's Word can go to the places that you might hide from everybody else, and it can reveal what you really think, what you really love, what you really trust in, what your real motivations and intentions are. I mean, think about Israel here. God's Word of promise. I'm going to give you the land. I'm going to give you rest. Just trust me and do what I call you to do. It exposed how hard their hearts were. It exposed that they didn't believe in Him and they didn't trust in Him. And so the reality is that you can hide your thoughts and your motivations and your intentions from everybody else, but you cannot hide them from God. Verse 13, no creature is hidden from His sight. All are naked and exposed to the eyes of Him to whom we're going to have to give an account. God's Word is able to pierce and reveal if what you really trust in is, well, I got baptized when I was 10, so I'm sure I'm going to be okay. God's Word is able to cut and reveal and expose if what you lean on is, well, you know, I go to church and I'm a pretty good person, so I'm sure God will accept me in the end. God's Word is able to pierce and reveal if you're leaning, and tr- leaning on and trusting in something other than Jesus, and if you are, you're going to be judged for that, and you won't get to experience God's rest. And so this is the message of the text. God's rest is still open. He's still inviting us into it. So listen to His Word. Don't fail to enter into it by not believing. And as we walk through this, you may be thinking like, okay, well, what is it that I'm called to believe? And how do I know if I am believing? How do I know if I'm going to enter God's rest? Well, the passage helps us. Because the passage shows us it's not enough to believe just that God exists. The Israelites believed that. It's not enough to believe that God works miracles. The Israelites saw all of God's miracles and wonders and knew that they came from God. It's not enough to believe the fact that Jesus died on the cross. The Israelites experienced the Passover ceremony, which pointed forward to what Jesus would do on the cross. It's not even enough to believe the fact that Jesus rose from the dead. I promise you, there are tons of people who believe that Jesus rose from the dead 
who will not enter God's rest. That's not what it means to believe. What it means to believe is that you trust. You entrust yourself to Jesus. You believe not just that Jesus died and rose from the dead, but that He died and rose from the dead for you, to save you. You confess Jesus as your Lord, as your King, and you submit your life to Him. You repent. You stop living for other things, and you begin to live for Jesus. You give your life over to Jesus. You entrust yourself to Him. That's what it means to believe. And so if you're not a believer in here this morning, I just want to urge you and plead with you. God has brought you here this morning so that you would repent and believe the good news and get to experience God's rest. Listen, the message is urgent. You may not have tomorrow, but you do have today. And today, God is calling out to you with His invitation and His warning. Today, you are hearing God's voice and God's word of promise. Please don't miss out on it by hardening your heart and failing to listen to God. If you don't repent, if you don't turn from your sin and turn from trusting in yourself and turn to Jesus, you will not experience God's rest. You will spend an eternity in hell, separated from God and all that is good. But you don't have to. God's rest is still open, still available. You can still come into it. All you need to do is repent and believe. If you are a believer in here this morning, there are two commands that he gives us in this passage, two ways he calls us to respond to God's message in this text. Verse 1, we should fear lest any of us should seem to have failed to reach it. In verse 11, we should strive to enter God's rest. So what are we called to do? First, we fear. We give weight to God's warning here. You are not the exception. You are in just as much of a danger of being deceived by sin and letting your heart get hard and and leading it to turn you away from God as the Israelites were. There could be in you an evil, unbelieving heart that leads you to fall away from the living God. You're not immune to this. So we should fear. We should fear that and think, my heart could get hard. I could turn away from Jesus. I could be deceived by sin. So I'm going to take steps to prevent that. I'm going to take action to not let that happen. The way you do that is by being quick to repent and quick to confess your sins to others and where you're struggling with. Because so often we hide our sin and we hide our questions and we hide our doubts until it's too late and it's blown up in our face, or it's carried us far away from God. You can prevent all of that by being quick to repent, quick to confess your sin to others and get help with it, quick to bring up your questions and your doubts instead of hiding them and trying to keep them to yourself. Look, God's Word is exposing all of us here, so it should not be weird for us to be able to step up and say, man, I'm struggling to trust God here. I know what I'm supposed to do. I know what the right answer is, but it's hard. Can you please pray for me? Can you please help me? Can you encourage me with the truth of the gospel? God's Word's exposing all of us, so it should not be weird for us to be able to step up and say, yeah, I thought I'd be done struggling with this sin by now, but I'm not. I need help. Pray for me. Hold me accountable. 
preach the truth of the gospel into my life. Help me fight against this sin. It should not be weird for us to help each other struggle against sin and consider Jesus and get our eyes on Jesus. The the alternative is to stay by ourselves and continue to let our hearts get hard and increase the chances of being deceived by sin. To take our sin seriously and to fight against it together, it's what it means to give weight to God's warning. It's what it means to fear here. So we fear so that no one would miss out on reaching God's rest. And then we strive. We strive to enter God's rest. We strive to keep believing to keep trusting in Jesus, to keep following after Him and deepening in our trust of Him. And how do you do that? Well, while the fullness of God's promise of rest here, it's a future reality, it's something for the next life, for eternity, that doesn't mean that we can't still get glimpses and foretastes of that rest now in this life. And those glimpses and foretastes can encourage us to endure and to keep following after Jesus. Because listen, the rest that we were made for, the rest that we ran away from in our sin, the rest that we all long for, Jesus has opened up the way into. Because the Bible tells us that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, he's not just forgiving our sins, he's ushering in a whole new world. And that world is breaking in right now. The Bible tells us that in his resurrection, Jesus is the first fruits of a new creation, which means the promise of God's salvation, of rest from the curse and brokenness and death and sin and a full restored relationship with him is breaking in right now. Jesus has opened up the way home for us. And so it often does not look like it right now. So often this life, does not feel like rest, and there's so much darkness and brokenness and curse, but the resurrection of Jesus means that darkness will not not win in the end. Jesus has opened up the way in the world that we all want, the world we were made for, the world we long for, it is coming. Jesus has opened the way into it, and whenever you doubt it, there's an empty tomb in the Middle East telling you that it's true. Look, it takes faith to see this and to believe and to know that even when you look at this present old world of sin and death and brokenness, that this isn't the end of the story. But it's true. The promise of new creation is true. God's rest will come back to this world in full. We will know this freedom. And because Jesus at the cross took the curse of sin and death that our sin brought into the world. He took it upon Himself at the cross. Because He did that, blessing is now flowing out to us and to our world. And that blessing is flowing out even now. We're getting the foretaste that help us to believe it. God's new world and His new creation of life and freedom and righteousness is breaking into our old world of sin and brokenness and death, and even now, beginning to transform it. And that transformation starts with you. The the Bible tells us that if we want evidence of God's new creation, if we want proof that this is true, that God's promise is true, 
then the place you look for that is through what Jesus is doing in us through the gospel. Because 2 Corinthians 5 says, if anybody is in Christ, they are new creation. God has made them new. This is why Jesus can say in Matthew chapter 11, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. The foretaste of rest that you need to keep going and to keep enduring, the foretaste of rest that we will have for all eternity, it's found right now in Jesus. Jesus can right now give you rest. No, we will not in this life experience rest from the labors of following Jesus in a broken world. We won't experience rest from suffering and sorrow, but right now, Jesus can give you rest from the work of trying to earn God's favor and His love through your performance, which is the work underneath all of our other work that makes us so tired because we're constantly trying to justify ourselves before God. Jesus can give you rest from all of that. Jesus can give you rest from being a slave to your sin and to your shame. Jesus can right now give you rest from the fear of death and condemnation that once hung over your head. Jesus right now can give you rest from wasting your life on things that do not and cannot satisfy. Right after this passage in the book of Hebrews, he tells us that in Jesus we have a great high priest who knows our weaknesses and can sympathize with us because he's been tempted in every way that we have without ever giving in to sin. So we can go to him and find grace and mercy to help us when we're in a time of need. Are you struggling to trust God? Go to Jesus. He will help you. Are you struggling with guilt and shame over your sin? Go to Jesus. You'll receive mercy to cover you and help you in your time of need. Are you getting weary? Are you getting tired? Are you thinking about giving up and turning away from Jesus? Go to Jesus. He will strengthen you with the foretaste of rest that you need to keep enduring, to keep you on the path towards home. The promise of entering God's rest still stands. The world that all of us want is coming. So let's strive to enter it. Let's strive to keep believing in Jesus. Let me pray that we would. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for both the warning and the invitation of this text. Thank you that um, the promise of entering your rest still stands. You're still inviting us into it. Thank you that you didn't give up on your purpose for us and for creation. Thank you that the day is coming when those who believe in you will know real life never ends. Every day is better than the one before. Life free from the curse, brokenness, death, and sin. Thank you for that promise. God, would you encourage us with that promise to keep striving and to keep trusting? Would you help us to not be like the Israelites who heard the good news and didn't believe it and didn't benefit from it? Would you help us to run to Jesus for strength and endurance and help as we follow you in this life? Would you just give us grace to believe and to keep trusting and to trust your promises more than the promises of sin. I pray that you would in your name. Amen.